So firstly, a piece from the first book in this series of two, which is called Inward. Max hesitated at the end of the village street. Already he was wet through with the rain, his hair plastered to his forehead. The feeling in his head was a little like a bright light and a loud noise in the back of his skull. All his senses still worked, but it overwhelmed his thoughts, its urgency filling his mind. He knew that it was Trudy, in the way he would have known her voice, or the sight or scent of her, and he knew that she was terrified, terrified and alone, and that she expected to die. He knew that it was coming from up the valley. He started to run up the track, his back to the rain, towards the cloud-shrouded forest, cursing his stunted legs, the muscles in them starting to burn as he climbed. Soon he was among the trees, and then in the cloud, in the vast gloomy spaces of the forest, one tree misting into the next, the rain running down his face and into his eyes. He moved without any of his normal caution, driving himself on, his legs and his chest on fire, his mind full of her terror. In a few minutes he came to the crag by the waterfall. The rocks glistened with water. At first he climbed wildly, then his foot slipped, and he was left for a moment hanging from his fingertips, both feet scrabbling for a hold. After that he forced himself to stand still against the rock, take a few seconds worth of deep gasping breaths. Then he climbed on, more steadily and carefully now, testing each hold for grip and security. Still she burned in his mind. The fear was palpable, as if it was his own. He scrambled to the top of the crag, stood beside the river where it unwound into space. The valley ran away into the cloud, the trees like grey ghosts, like skeletons, only half real in the mist. She was up there somewhere, perhaps even at a shelter. Impulsively, he forded the river above the next pool, almost falling, one foot going into the icy water. He headed up the far bank at a stumbling run, scrambling over the outcrops of rock. In his mind, the fear went on, driving him on, but better, better by far than his own fear, the fear that the feeling in his head would stop, meaning her death. He ran on, wiping rain and sweat from his eyes. Rounding an outcrop as he climbed, he came suddenly on a wolf. It lay lifeless on a patch of grass, two arrows in its neck. Another of the strange wolves, its body still warm, the blood still wet on it. Dully, knowing what he would find, he pulled the arrows from it. The arrowheads were copper, the ones he and Oz had made. Instinctively, his hand went to his shoulder, and at once fear and dismay washed through him. In his haste and preoccupation, he had forgotten his bow. Slowly, he put the arrows in his belt. Rousing himself, he forced his legs to move once again, <coughs> until he saw the silhouette of the rocky spur on the valley wall, which shielded her cave. He paused for a moment, his thoughts racing. He began to climb the back of the spur. In his mind, her knowledge of her coming death still burned. 
He climbed fast, his mind like a mirror now, intent, concentration fixed on the climbing, on moving almost noiselessly over the rock. When he judged he was some 20 feet above the level of the cave, he began carefully traversing the face of the crag until he could see round it up the valley. His body like a coiled spring, he checked each hold for loose debris whose fall might give him away. Suddenly, he could see down into the opening of the cave. She was standing in its mouth, he saw, soaked to the skin by the rain, her shelter half-wrecked. Facing her, a little over an arm's length away, was another of the wolves. She was protected by the narrow cave mouth, and it could only approach her from the front. She'd plainly run out of arrows. The wolf made little lunges at her, and she was keeping it at bay with the end of her bow, using it as he'd used his in the high woods. He could see that she was exhausted after what must have been at least half an hour, and that she moved more slowly so that the wolf came closer to taking it in its jaws. His hand strayed to the small knife at his belt. Noiselessly, he began descending the spur, keeping to one side of the cave, heading for a bluff on its nearer side. Quietly, desperately, Trudy fought for her life below him as he tried to concentrate on the rock. As his feet found the bluff, he heard the clatter of wood, heard her give a little sob. Her wash of fear exploded in his mind like a wave, momentarily blanking out the world. Looking down, he saw that the wolf had got the bow in its jaws, had wrested it from her grasp. <clears throat> in panic, she grabbed at a broken pole from her shelter, held that before her instead. The animal stood immobile again, watching her. Poised atop the bluff, he tried to shut it all out. He tensed his legs, wiping his hands on his sodden trousers, and took the little knife in both hands. He looked down on the wolf's grey back, 15 feet or so below, knowing he would have only one chance, fixating his vision on the place where the neck met the skull. He tightened his grip on the knife and jumped. <laughs> Thank you. And a sh shorter passage from the second book, a very different context. There's one last thing, he said, taking both her hands. Sit still now and close your eyes. I want to show you something. She thought he might be teasing her, but complied anyway, smiling a little, settling herself more comfortably on the grass. He was suddenly aware of the beating of his own heart, wondering if what he was about to attempt was right, yet feeling sure in a strange way that he owed her for all of the past two years. He looked at her, sitting on the grass in front of him with the wind in her hair, then closed his own eyes, turned his face up to the sun, and slipped again into the mind sea. The brightness of her was there next to him, expectant, close enough to touch. So gently, fearful of causing harm, he moved towards her, and abruptly their awarenesses touched, like ripples crossing on, river, on mirror smooth water. He felt her start, her hands tightening in his, like a deer catching a scent on the wind, like that first ever touch on a new lover's skin. 
that moment of sudden knowing that changes the future forever. Max, she whispered, her voice awed, and he knew that she knew. Her surface thoughts were bright, restless, like sun catching shoaling water, like bright prayer flags fluttering against an azure sky. He hesitated, too conscious of his inexperience, too full of respect for her to look. There'd been two things he wanted to show her when he'd first thought of this, and he carefully arranged them on the surface of his mind, the part he hoped she was aware of for her inspection. So she saw herself with a sense of wonder, bending over a hospital bed, her hair falling down around her face, wearing that perfume that smelled of roses. Saw herself in a chair in a university room, knees drawn up under her chin, hands cradling a cup of coffee, sudden laughter chasing a frown off her face, intent on the task of understanding. Watched her own hands moving newly made arrows on a bench, dejection in her stance, or again straining to move a boat, knuckles pale under her skin, drops of water beading on it. She saw herself leaning on the gunwale of a sailing boat against a backdrop of wave top and mountain, her hair chaos in the wind, the sun striking flecks of gold in the dark peat of her eyes. She saw what she meant to him, knew he saw beauty in the way her nose turned up, which she'd always hated, in the way that she moved, which she'd always thought awkward, and her eyes filled with tears behind her closed eyelids. She saw the way he saw care, compassion, in everything she did, and she understood. Thank you.